We live in a world that teaches that freedom from constraints is the path to self-actualization, as if freedom from the things that hinder my desires will mean reaching my full potential. As modern Westerners who have been sort of discipled by material luxury and, and personal control that were inconceivable a hundred years ago, we almost innately assume this idea that the freedom from constraints to choose my own way, to author my own destiny, to be the captain of my fate, that is how I become the me I am made to be. While this kind of freedom from all constraints, except the ones I choose for myself so that I can carve my own path, while this sounds like paradise, according to Paul here in Galatians 5, that's not freedom at all. To the contrary, Paul says, true freedom is found in the rest and peace of knowing that your greatest problem of being a sinner who deserves condemnation before a perfect and holy God, that your greatest problem has been remedied by Jesus as your sacrifice. And so when you know this, when you know that God is no longer just one of a long list of constraints in the way of becoming fully you, but that he himself is the way you become the you he created you to be, that is what it means to be truly free. Freed from sin and death, to become by the spirit who God wants us to be is always better than free from constraints to achieve a pathetic personal vision from the flesh that ends in death. I hope and pray today that you catch a personal vision from God's word, a personal vision of freedom in Christ that loves like a servant and walks by the Spirit. Let's jump in together to Galatians 5, 13 through 18, and look with me at just the first sentence in verse 13. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. For you were called to freedom, brothers. The word for here at the beginning indicates that Paul is explaining more about something he has already said. So to pick up on that preceding context, turn with me to Galatians 5.1. Paul has already made clear in the previous three chapters that the Galatian Christians shouldn't accept circumcision or adherence to the Jewish civil and ceremonial laws as salvific, and that they shouldn't listen to the Judaizing infiltrators. And, and then he explains why. Beginning in 5.1, he says this, For freedom, meaning for our freedom from the power of sin and death to condemn us, for freedom, Christ has set us free. It is for our freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, a couple weeks ago, when we studied that passage together, in Galatians 5.1 and following, we explained that because of Christ's coming to live perfectly under the law, to live the sinless life we could not, we are free from having to be righteous on our own. So we are free because Christ was righteous for us. 1 John 2.1 says, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, Jesus himself says in John 8.36, That if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So when we rely on Jesus for our righteousness before God the Father, we are walking in true freedom. We can live in peace and hope and confidence. Just think about that. Freedom is having peace and hope 
and confidence before God and in relationship to the law because you know you've been set free by Christ who fulfilled the law for you. You know that you are free indeed because of Jesus Christ, the righteous. That is the freedom for which Christ has set us free. So, knowing that you are free indeed, Paul says, apply that to your whole life. You are now able to to live in that freedom, to think from that freedom, to have sort of a mindset and identity that are defined by and rooted in that freedom, which is why Paul says in 5.1 that we should stand firm, therefore, Stand firm because of your freedom in Christ and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not let yourselves be hornswoggled by the Judaizers into accepting circumcision or adherence to the Jewish civil and ceremonial laws as if those have redemptive power for you. If you have true freedom gained for you by Christ, Paul says, stand firm in that truth. You're free from sin through Christ, so live as free and not as slave. So in our passage, in Galatians 5.13, Paul is reminding the Galatian believers of the freedom in Christ he had just declared to them in 5.1. So again, in verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Don't forget your freedom, Paul says, for you were called to it, by which he means that you were called to freedom by God and the grace of Christ, which Paul already said and established in Galatians 1, 6. You were called by God's grace to freedom. But as soon as Paul starts talking like this about all this grace from God and freedom in Christ and how grace isn't earned and it's given and how it's free and you can't earn it by being good enough or even following the law, he knows As soon as he says all those things, many will object. He knows that the legalists will parachute in with a self-righteous Jesus jukes. Paul, if we talk too much about grace, we're just opening the door for more sin. We all know that talking too much about freedom is a recipe for moral disaster. It's like Proverbs 29 says, where there is no prophetic vision, no truth from God's word, the people cast off restraint. And so, Paul, you're encouraging the people to cast off restraint and to go against the scriptures. The good old KJV says it best. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where you abandon the word of God, the people perish, Paul. You know as well as I that when people cast off restraint and they call it freedom, bad things happen. We can all hear the legalists from within the Galatian church trying to set Paul straight on the pitfalls of talking too much freedom. Which is why he says next in Galatians 5, 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only, meaning make sure of this one thing, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. He says it negatively first, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, which we'll define in just a bit. And then he says it positively, but through love, serve one another. Yes, indeed, Paul says, if you are called by God in the grace of Christ and you call him Abba Father by the Spirit and you are part of the family, then you are indeed truly free from sin and death and obligation to the law. But, but only make sure 
You don't use your freedom for the flesh as an opportunity to feed the flesh. But through love, serve one another, he says. Now, there are a couple typical Paul power-packed words and ideas here in verse 13. And the first we want to look at in this in this uh, verse is the word flesh. So while Paul uses this word flesh in a number of different ways, each with a different little nerdy nuance, which by the way, makes sermon prep impossible. Thank you, Paul. Here in the context of Galatians, this word flesh is always used in opposition to the spirit of God that changes hearts and produces godliness. So here's what Paul means by this word in this passage. Flesh is all the ways that we trust in people or things other than God for life, meaning, and salvation. It's all the ways that we trust in people or things other than God for ultimate life and meaning and even salvation. So flesh here is not narrowly defined as just human skin or or sinful nature or how we live out sinful desires, though it certainly implies the idea of desire here. But Paul is using it in a much more comprehensive way. He's saying that the flesh isn't just the ways we live out our sinful desires, but it's all the ways that we place our ultimate trust in anyone or anything other than God for our life, our meaning, and and salvation, as if fulfilling those desires will give us ultimate life, meaning, and salvation. And again, we know this because in the context of Galatians, the word flesh is always used in opposition to God's spirit that does bring true and lasting life, meaning, and ultimate salvation. So here in verse 13, to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh means to act as if those people or things that you trust other than God are what actually sustain you. As if God is not creator, but those people or those things are ultimate for you. They define you. So this can be a, a trust in self, in others, in money, in physical safety, personal achievement, family lineage, outward appearance, having white teeth, being seen as nice, having a good reputation in the community, even your awesome golf swing or your cool car. It's the whole nine yards of everything you can think of that falls into the category of people or things in which we place ultimate trust as well as everything you can't think of and aren't even aware of. So <laughs> to apply All of this to verse 13. Paul is saying that while believers are indeed called to freedom, we must not use our freedom from sin. (laughs) One might say we must not abuse our freedom from sin to become enslaved to something else. But instead, we are now, as he says, through love to serve one another. We are freed from sin for love to serve through love. Now, when Paul says through love here, he means through the new command to love that fulfills the whole law. More about this in just a moment, but I want you to notice first the interesting language here in verse 13, where Paul says that we are to, through love, serve one another. The wording actually says through the love slave to one another through the love, which we'll get to next 
act as a slave, a servant to one another. So on the heels of freedom language, Paul says paradoxically, through the love, act as a slave. So which is it, Paul? Are we free or are we slave? Well, yes is the answer. Freed from sin, slave to love. Martin Martin Luther uh, famously said it this way, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Paul is saying, instead of abusing your freedom for for the flesh, your freedom in Christ is for the slavery of acting in love toward one another. You are freed from sin for slavery to love. And why single out love here? Or as Paul specifically says in verse 13, the love? Because he means the new law of love that is fulfilled in Christ and that enables us to love. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled, passive verb here, which is important because initially and ultimately Jesus fulfills the law. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in one saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul is quoting Jesus, quoting and expanding upon Leviticus. <laughs> He's quoting Jesus, who quotes and expands on Leviticus 19.18, that says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This was one of the most uh, common ways that the Jews would summarize the whole law. But Paul's referring here to when Jesus quotes that phrase and then expands the definition of neighbor to go beyond the Jews to include the non-Jews, the Gentiles. Sometimes you'll see Greek in the New Testament, the Greeks. That new, larger definition of neighbor to include the Gentiles was a radical expansion of love of neighbor as the Jews understood it. So Jesus was in effect saying here, when you understand that the love of God for neighbor isn't just for your Jewish brother and sister, but also for the nations, the rest of the world, and that I have come to save them because I love them too, then you've begun to understand. And then you have fulfilled the whole law. Later in Galatians in 6.2, Paul calls this expanded definition of love of neighbor He calls it the love of neighbor. He calls it the law of Christ in 6.2. That's exactly what Jesus himself meant when he was saying in John 13.34, a new commandment, a new law I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So Paul is sort of singling out love as expanded definition of neighbor, to love them as a brother, because the love of Christ who went so far as to die for the sins of those he loved is the model for our love. When we love like Christ, in the words of verse 13, as a servant, as a slave, we are in effect, because of Jesus, fulfilling the whole law. So we are freed from sin, not for flesh, but for love, as, as Christ loved, all because he fulfilled the law for us. Freed from sin, not for flesh, but for love, as Christ loved, because Jesus fulfilled the whole law for us. 
Now, this was important in this context for the church at Galatia because, and this shouldn't be surprising to you if you've been in a group of people larger than one for more than five minutes, this love for one another was important because things had the potential to get ugly here, even at church. Yeah, I know. Very surprising. So this idea of being freed from sin, not for flesh, but for loving as Christ loved because he fulfilled the law. This idea was important because this controversy about the law, about circumcision and the law, had the potential from the inside of tearing apart the church. So they needed to love. Look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul states this here as a warning of what can happen when people abuse their freedom in Christ as an opportunity for the flesh instead of for love. And Paul pictures it here looking like like animals that tear one another to pieces. This is what will happen if you use your freedom in Christ as an opportunity for the flesh, as an opportunity to trust in something other than the grace of God in Christ, in something other than the love that motivated God the Father to send his son to be righteousness. So don't bite and devour one another, he says. But, verse 16, but I say, to the contrary, instead, notice this, walk by the Spirit. Notice he doesn't just suggest it. He commands it. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by it. From day to day, throughout the day, because you've been freed from condemnation by sin and death. Walk by the empowerment and the direction of what having a relationship with God through Christ makes evident, namely, that you've got God's Spirit in you to direct you. So do this thing by that same Spirit that freed you from sin. Walk like that's true. Do that because you can. Paul says, don't sit around wringing your hands about condemnation or regret from sins in your past or even about current or past suffering or pain, not that those things didn't happen, not that they don't happen, not that they won't happen, but that even as they are happening, Paul says, if you're free in Christ, there is nothing keeping you from walking by the Spirit. Now, we'll come back to this uh, important phrase here in the parallel in verse 18, because it's our main teaching point in this section. But let's keep moving on in the text, starting again at verse 16. So I say... Walk by the Spirit, meaning do the good and right thing that comes from the heart of God because your freedom from sin means more than just positional and legal status of justification, but also the ongoing application of that new status. So I say walk by the Spirit, and then here's the result, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Meaning you will not give undue power and weight to people and things as if they bring ultimate life, meaning, and salvation. Because you know what you have in Christ and that you are freed in him and that the same spirit that raised him from the dead raised you from the dead. Why? To do the good and right thing. More explanation, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh, the desire for people and things apart from God, as if they could bring ultimate life, meaning, and salvation... Those desires of the flesh, he says, are against the spirit. They work against the idea that God alone brings ultimate life, meaning, and salvation. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They work against each other, he says. For these are opposed to each other. They fight against one another. Key thought here, working against one another inside of us. That's the key thought here. They're working against one another inside of us to keep you, to keep us from doing the things you want to do. To keep you believers from doing the good things from God that you want to do because you have a new heart by God's spirit. And so then he ends in verse 18 with a summary statement. But if you are led by the spirit, same, as, same idea as walk by the spirit in verse 16, they're parallels. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. If you are led by the spirit, if you walk by the spirit, you show that you are not under the condemnation of sin and death under the law because you love like Christ as a servant, because you know you're free because he fulfilled the law. Now, look again at that important phrase in verse 18, led by the spirit. The parallel in verse 16 says, walk by the spirit. Now, the verb that Paul uses here in verse 18 for this word led is related to the word pedagogue, P-E-D-A-G-O-G-U-E. That's a word we first came across in Galatians chapter 3, where it says in verse 24 that the law was our pedagogue, our guardian, until Christ came. In other words, the law sort of acted like a, a personal parole officer to keep us on track morally with our plan for getting out of jail from sin. That was the plan until Christ came. The law was meant to provide sort of a moral discipline and a restraint and a plan for us until we were ready for more, until Christ came. Verse 25, Galatians 3. But now, now that faith has come, meaning now that Christ has come and he has set us free from sin and death and put God's spirit in us, now we're under a different kind of guardian a different pedagogue, as Paul says in 5.18. But if you are led by the Spirit, if you are pedagogued, in a sense, by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So if God's Spirit is in you, if God's Spirit is our new guardian, you're not under the law. Why? Because the law is now written in your heart, on your heart. It's now inside of you, as God himself says over and over again in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. He says, I will put a new spirit in you. I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit in you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I will put my law within you and I will write it on your hearts. And so Paul here in Galatians is not invalidating the role of God's moral laws, which are good and meant to direct us toward him, but he is reminding us that the inward work of the Holy Spirit is what teaches us how to handle our newfound freedom. God's Spirit is what enables us to hear His Word that directs us to do His will. Romans 6, 17 is a really cool verse, and it says this idea like this. But thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from 
the heart. You who were once slaves to sin and did everything in the flesh to fight against the spirit have become obedient from the heart. Friends, this this is the wonder and beauty of the miracle of what the gospel does in our hearts. We who were once in love with sin now have hearts that are soft to hear from God and to love as Christ loved us. That's the new law of love, the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2 says. That we now have hearts soft to hear from God and to love as Christ loved us. To love in a way that serves others without needing to manipulate a reciprocal response. To love in a way that doesn't need to be constantly personally threatened because the things we love needn't be depended upon to carry salvific weight. So believer, friends, this week in your life, use your freedom in Christ, not as an opportunity for self, but as an opportunity to love as a servant and to walk by the spirit that Christ might be seen in you that others might experience his love and that you might even see in yourself the evidence that you are living from this freedom that comes from knowing that the law has been fulfilled for you by your Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we call you Abba, Father, because your spirit has in us softened our hearts to hear you calling us. We're grateful for who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus. We're grateful that in this moment, if we recognize in ourselves wanting to do what is good and right because it comes from your heart, that that's evidence of this this new law of love that's written on our hearts by you, by your spirit. We ask, Lord, that we would continue to fight the flesh and walk by the Spirit to do the things we know we are freed to do without constraints because of Jesus and what he's done for us to set us free. So that Christ would be made known, so that others would experience his love, so that as we serve, we would understand what it means to take up our cross daily and to follow you. And so that we would in our own lives and in our own hearts have the reassurance that we are yours, that you love us, that we're a part of your family and that we will be with you forever. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray.